Wham, Bam, Thank You Ma'am is a podcast that discusses sex, intimate and sexual situations, sexualized anatomy, alcohol, and substance use. Naughty language will be used. We recommend listeners be 18 or older, as some content will not be suitable for younger listeners. Individual episodes may contain additional content warnings. Please refer to these at the start of each episode to keep yourself safe. Most importantly, have fun and enjoy. Looking to share your passion with the world? Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am and Podbean are here to help. As producer of WBTYM, I did a lot of research into hosting before taking the leap. And now you don't have to. Podbean's unlimited plan is easy, affordable, and flexible. With the ability to schedule episodes in advance, connect your feed everywhere podcasts are potted, and a comprehensive ads marketplace, Podbean has everything you need to share your show with the world. Don't just take our word for it. Go to podbean.com slash WBTYM to get the unlimited hosting plan free for one month. We can't wait to see what you make. Get flirty and stay dirty. Welcome to Wham Bam Thank You Ma'am, the smuttiest, sluttiest podcast this side of literary analysis. I'm Corinne and I'm here because I studied media and literature in college and I, like every other person in the world, wanted to start a podcast. What about you, Roxy? Why are you here? Corinne, Corinne, I'll tell you anything you want to know if you just let me see my family again, Corinne. I, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Roxy. Roxy. <laughs> told you when we were recording. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. right. Hi. My name is Roxy. I am here of my own free will, and I am happy to be here. Hold on. I got to mm-hmm. flip over the paper. Okay. I am a mental health professional. Who enjoys reading romance novels and smut? Happy to be here. Thank you. Can I see my Totally natural. Can I see my family now? Can I? Can I? You can't see your family, but you will get an extra portion of gruel. Yes. Yeah, gruel night. Andy, what about you? Hi, I'm here because my Play-Doh-based homemade um, earring... Uh, uh, Etsy business went under. But that's such a hot market. How could it go under? I'm uh, so sorry to hear that. You know, apparently Play-Doh doesn't hold its shape. Who could have guessed? Not me. My God. Strongest material on earth. I know it. You know what you need to get into? <laughs> What's that? Duct tape. <gasps> I so, gotta go. Okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> Flashbacks to like the early two thousands duct tape wallets and like uh-huh. the dresses and belts. Don't. Yep. Don't. I made the duct tape shit. I made that stuff. We need to I... leave it behind. <laughs> I wanted to make a duct tape prom dress so bad because you could get a scholarship for it. You could. Yeah. I didn't do a duct tape prom dress because I never went to prom, but I made a wallet. I made a purse. I think I made some shoes. Um. I made, uh, I helped make a friend's costume because we were, uh, she wanted to go as the crow. Um, so, uh, I made, like, a duct tape, like, bodice because the character, like, duct tapes himself together at one point after getting shot multiple times. And so I made, like, I duct taped her and then cut it and then, like, essentially made a bodice out of it so that we could take it on and off easily. Um. So that's actually yeah. a really good way for pattern making. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, hi, I'm Andy, also known as Super Andiness, pretty much fucking everywhere. I'm here 
Everywhere um, you turn a corner, she's there. She's there. She's fucking. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give myself the hiccups. <laughs> I um, I'm here because I have been ingratiated into fandom culture longer than it is appropriate for any human being to be ingratiated or associated with fandom culture. I said that in one go. Oh good my job. god! Oh my god! Thank you. I'm professional. Oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. We've gotten so badly, girl. We're so good. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. How much right. vocal fry okay. can <laughs> we get? No, no, I, I do not want a side of vocal fries. Thank you, though. Thank do, you. Do you still want your Sprite? Yeah, I'll take the Sprite. Oh, all right. <laughs> I can actually really go for a Sprite. We keep talking too. about Sprite. I want a Sprite. Specifically a McDonald's Sprite so that I could... F- oh, so crispy. It's like yeah, the, sweet the, the TV static. The, th- the throat gasm. Yes. Don't ruin Sprite for me. Don't. Don't. I'm not ruining shit for you, bitch. Throat gasm? <laughs> My drag name. No! <laughs> I'm moving along. <laughs> This episode is going to be a little different because we have a very special guest, ma'am, author of Pirates of Eletheria and its upcoming sequel, Goddess of the Sea, Brittany Jackson. Can you tell us a little about yourself, Brittany? Um, I am an author and a, uh, well, a, a mom and I play occasionally, well, I haven't in a while, but I did used to play all the time. As a musician, and um, oh, and I read. Do you have a, a specific? Well, I guess that's that, I'm gonna ask you that later. Uh, a different question that isn't a part of what's gonna be an interview. Spoilers. Um, if you're picking a drink from uh, McDonald's, what drink are you picking? Oh, usually just Dr. Pepper or Diet Pepper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. I miss Dr. Pepper. Oh, Their syrup is so... It's good shit. I, I, de- de- I developed a uh, cherry allergy, and it's both artificial and real. <laughs> and I can't have Dr. Pepper because cherry is one of the flavors in Dr. Pepper. Oh, shit, buddy. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I miss Dr. Pepper so bad. Oh, I'll, You know what? I'll get one of those soda streams. Put in some sweet baby Ray's barbecue sauce <laughs> and some sugar, and we'll have the same damn thing. <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta add a little Robitussin for that kick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Y'all, please don't listen to us. I swear to Christ, if you do this, I... I, I if you do this, sue. we don't want to know. <laughs> don't yeah. associate. Don't, don't put our I name mean, to that sin. DM me because I want to know, but, like, we're not, we're not affiliated. I didn't grow up in the meth capital of the United States of America to tell you to use Robitussin in a soda stream. I grew up in the meth capital of America to tell you to buy suit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know my wife, after hearing this episode, is going to, like, just have a talk with you. Uh, <laughs> me, my wife's a pharmacist, and every time we make a joke about drugs, she'll, like, give us this look, like, is it a joke? Is it? Are you okay? And we're like, stop! Stop it! <laughs> we're all mostly well-adjusted adults. We are really good at faking it. Okay? Yeah, we mask amazing. We break down in private. Okay, like Americans. No, wait, now I'm concerned. Wait. <laughs> now hold up. Perfect. Now we can start the episode. Yeah, you're ready. 
you've been primed. Yeah, we had to, had to grease you up and prime you. I feel okay. so. <laughs> Ooh, don't ever say that again. <laughs> God damn it. I can make you greasy. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I have very oily skin. Just general contact. <laughs> Corinne's like just strips down. It's like it's grease time, baby. Stop. <laughs> it's the it's the Mediterranean skin. It's so oily. <laughs> Listen, as a biracial woman, I understand. I got that combo. I got the oily from the Middle Eastern side and the dry from the Irish side. But, like, we can't call ourselves this, Corinne. We can't go up to people and say we're greasy. We can't. But I'm so we greasy. Can't. What, do you want to call me shiny instead? We'll just get you a grease rag. <laughs> Is it going to be like in Conan where, like, you use the thing to get rid of the oil? <laughs> Welcome to All our right. last episode where we interview an author <laughs> ever. Because no one's going to come on the show. <laughs> Honestly, so, I'm just happy Brittany's still here. <laughs> yeah, she hasn't, we haven't scared her off yet. Yeah. Brittany, Brittany, blink three times if you need help. Her camera's <laughs> off. I know. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> She's fine, folks. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry okay i'll get you in contact with our lawyer i understand we'll, we can settle this outside of court this is why we drink during the episode <laughs> uh by the way andy is our lawyer as we were saying earlier what? Uh, she, she is a legal professional i was lying See, you're you already said you lying. were a lawyer you're already a lawyer you lied <laughs> God damn it. Usually, we would have a new drink this week, um, but since we'll be revisiting Pirates of Eletheria with Brittany, it seemed fitting to recommend our season premiere drinks. Judith's Ginger, Pirate's Booty, and Pirate's Float. I currently have Pirate's Booty. You can find recipes and instructions for the cocktail and mocktail versions of these drinks in our Discord and on our social media, WBTYM Pod, basically any place you look, except for TikTok, where we're just WBTYM, but I don't think we post drinks there. Now, Brittany, welcome to 20 Questions with the Mams. Are you ready to be interrogated? I think so. (laughs) That's the spirit. In the spirit, a drink for all. Welcome to the crew of the Wham Bam. Thank you, ma'am. E.R. Thank you for not... Thank you for, in your book, not having, um, taking inspiration from those two and the yard. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but Captain being like playing it up when first meeting Amelia, so like, did you? Are welcome. Like, he's like, you're in one. <laughs> they, they. I'm so sorry. They role play the the mean pirate and the the damsel, but Amelia's the pirate, and she's just like, "Arg, matey, <laughs> Avasti, Scallywag." She thinks that's what Maria means by becoming a pirate. <laughs> like, oh, sweet Christ! And Maria's just like, "Oh, I love her so much." Oh no. 
<laughs> now, folks, if you've not heard our episode on Pirates Valetheria, please go listen to it before you listen to this interview. It is genuinely one of our favorite books we have ever reviewed. I, I think it was one of our few five out of fives all across the board. Um, highly recommend listening to that episode first because, oh my gosh. <laughs> we were all in love with Captain Maria. And I won't apologize for that. No. She can no, tie me up in knots any day. <laughs> what? <laughs> can now, I help you? She's a pirate. So, like, what kind of knot, though? Because, like, they use lots of knots at sea. So you gotta... This is a smut podcast. I don't choose between my knots. all right all right all right order in the court order on the ship Brittany. first question how do you feel about the lack of sapphic representation in queer book communities and publishing do you think that impacted or influenced your writing um yeah definitely um but when I was a kid, I, well, up until I was a teenager, I didn't even really have any example of what a lesbian was. And, um, you know, I, I did, I had this grandfather who would uh, constantly call me a dyke and the whole family would, or not the whole family, but some of them would kind of snicker, but nobody would tell me what it meant. And I'd just go from one person to the next and be like, what does this mean? And they're just like, don't say that. And <laughs> we're all making incredulous faces for those who can't see this video. It's going to uh, beat Grandpappy's ass. Sorry, Brittany. <laughs> well, he's dead, but he did a lot worse stuff. So he, he deserved oh. it for a while. we'll beat his ashes. <laughs> and we'll dig just, up his grave. And he's just punching the ground. <laughs> you. I'm so sorry. I'm not trying to. Sorry. <laughs> sorry we do need to disrespect the dead, but only if it's okay with you. Question one of the interview, and we tell the author we're going to beat up. He he was really bad to my grandmother. So like, I oh. uh, never really. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. We got you. We got you. Preach. Yep. Listen, you're in a call with two Southern ladies. Like, I know a lot of people don't consider uh, Mozart area Southern, but this is how I actually talk. It was kind of like this, so. <laughs> I'm bougie city Atlanta Southern, so. Yeah. But still, we Southern women. We get it. I'm from Illinois. <laughs> Shut up, Lincoln. <laughs> I'm from the land of Lincoln. Don't make me choke on my drink, Jesus. <laughs> I'll give you something else to choke on. I'm sorry. I couldn't hold it back. I couldn't hold it back. I'm going to put myself in timeout. Wait, we can do that. Wait. <laughs> Andy has just turned away from the webcam. <laughs> yeah, she's just facing the side We're completely getting, like, straight the side face. profile like if Andy was on a coin, you know? <laughs> Yeah, um, my first example of a lesbian was probably, I mean, 
you know, I had, uh, I watched Ellen DeGeneres and stuff, but I didn't really, everybody sort of like sheltered me from what made them dislike her. And I'm just like, you know, because I, I just had this, I lived in a very, very, or I, I still sort of do, but not as small as what I used to. I lived in a very, very small town. So like, it is so okay there to be kind of awful that you don't even know that people are being awful until you're older but you know that things don't make sense to you like you know I would I didn't understand why people didn't like it when I wore boy clothes or a hat or whatever I didn't know why they didn't like uh people like Ellen DeGeneres and stuff like that and even when I got old enough to start knowing that people did not like the idea that I might be gay um even at that point, I still didn't understand what being gay as a girl meant because yeah. you see a few gay men on TV at the time. You know, you had uh, Will and Grace, but you didn't really see a whole lot of lesbians. Now, luckily, I was absolutely obsessed with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So when Willow yes. came, <laughs> I had her. And... um. And I liked Xena, but I really did not have the uh, understanding at the point to pick up on the sapphic uh, coding. That well, <clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, I'm dying over here. Um, with Xena, it was a little bit more subtexty. It, yeah. it was definitely there, but it wasn't as overt as Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where they're like, Willow is a lesbian. This is text. <laughs> yeah, it is text versus subtext as it was. Like, it was very blatant subtext in Xena, but it was subtext. Yeah. 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 And um, then there was a point where I was uh, playing Jade Empire, which is, it, if you, if anybody hasn't played it, it's, it's the same it's Bioware, it's the same company that does Dragon Age. And it was just on the first Xbox, I think. I think it was the first Xbox. And you had the option to have a relationship with the Princess Ninja Girl. And uh, I always did. And I was always, and when people would come in and see, and I was always like, I have no idea why these games think I'm gay. I didn't do this. <laughs> but... So um, I had that, but as far as books and, and and anything besides those things, I didn't really have anything to to go by to understand what was different about me. I had a uh, a Sunday school teacher when I was like eleven or twelve pull me aside and say that it was not normal to say that I didn't want to date boys. Because I said that in class. But I still didn't understand why. I was just like, I just am not interested. I had no idea that it sounded like I was saying I was gay, which, you know, I was. But I didn't know at the time. I had no idea what people were reacting to. Everybody acted like they knew something I didn't. And I didn't know what it was. And when I first, when I finally started to kind of pick up on it, um... 
I was just deep, deep in denial. And I was also really, really deep in religion at the time. So there were very emotional reasons for my denial. And um, so I was just trying really hard to go the opposite direction. And, you know, I, I threw myself into a really bad relationship and, you know, like all sorts of stuff. It was bad. But if I had had anything, I, well, I, I left a very important one out. There was rent at the time and I loved rent, but um, which that that was still later, I think. I mean, obviously the play was out, but I'm not from New York. I didn't see it. So I didn't see it until it was a movie. And uh, and my, me and my best friend went to see it on its little last tour thing when it came to Huntsville. And that was amazing. But um, as far as books go, I did not see a single example of a lesbian anywhere. And there were there were examples at the time, but they were being published by very small publishers and by authors who went indie in order to get their stuff out there. And it wasn't being put in stores or anything. So my very first time, whenever I started realizing when I wrote Rose that she was not straight and I was like, well, um. I don't want to address the fact that the reason I'm writing her that, that that I can't seem to write a straight girl is because I'm not straight. So instead, I will try to find another book with a uh, not straight person in it and see if that will help me feel comfortable with this because I was freaking out about the fact that I couldn't seem to write straight girls. And um, so I went to the bookstore and I asked them do you know of any and I sort of whispered because I was so scared of people finding out and so I whispered to the bookseller do you know of any books that have lesbians in it and she's just like no I don't think so and so you know that just made me panic and I sort of ran out and everything <laughs> but um eventually after googling I started finding that there are indie books but you have to order them online, or at least at the time you did. Now, I think there are some bookstores that are starting to carry indie books, but at the time you had to order them online. And so it was both, um, it, it was like discovering Narnia for me. I was just like, holy crap, I'm not the only one who can't seem to write a straight person. And, <laughs> oh, maybe I'm not the only person who's not straight either. And um, so that made me feel a lot better about Rose being into Kara and um and eventually Rose and Kara made me feel a lot better about uh me <laughs> being into women but um at the beginning it was just I, I was shocked by how hard it was to find these things now these days I've I've come to realize that you know you are starting to see a lot of big publishers publish some queer stuff but I don't trust them. I mean, they they didn't want to touch our stuff until we, as a as a people, or marginalized people in general, proved that there were markets for diversity. And so they're going to be the first people to throw us away with these book bans and stuff. So that's why I still really like being indie. And I 
really like supporting uh, the small and indie uh, lesbian publishers and 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 just queer publishers in general. Um, because I, I don't think that we can trust traditional publishing at all. But um, it is getting better. And I think a lot of that is due to the internet. But yeah. it's still... It still feels the only people I trust are the ones who I know won't throw us away. So it still feels scary whenever it comes to book bans and stuff. And you see people like Scholastic being like, well, we're just not going to sell these books at the main thing. Or I, I can't even remember the exact wording of their tweet at the time. But yeah, there was there was something specific. I don't remember how they phrased it, but it was yeah. essentially it was essentially a separate but equal thing and it was like Yeah. That's that's never been cool for any reason. Yeah, exactly. And and it, it it's not just lesbians and, and sapphic representation. It's is uh diverse race, racial uh representation as well. They they throw it all away because of some conservatives and their protests and stuff. So um, I feel like we're at a very good but scary, uh, easy to go backward time. Well, and one thing that I found solace in is um, somebody posted, and I, and I don't remember who, that the reason why there's been so many book bans, so many laws, um, so many things targeting uh queer trans you know like non-heterosexual folks is because it's the dying gasps of beliefs that are being left behind um mm. because at the end of the day we're winning yeah it's slow and it's hard but every generation is more accepting than the last and gen z is considered the kindest generation um they're the most open and so by the time that you know our our kids are growing up or you know we're grandparents i think that as long as we stay the course things are going to keep getting better there's going to be new problems of course and you know the world's burning to the ground but <laughs> that's a whole other can of beans i i will second that corinne um as someone whose spouse is transgender it's it's been both a very scary time and a very heartwarming time because as you hear these death cries, you are hearing a lot of people speak up for you. And I actually had a conversation with my mom the other day. Um, for the longest time was conservative, but absolutely adores my wife. Uh, she, she talked about how I don't even watch the news anymore. They make me so mad. They don't know what they're talking about. Like someone who her whole life, you know. Um, I, I do very much believe that there is hope. And I love that you brought up the internet because the internet has been absolutely fascinating in that it has created space for these communities and for people who may come from smaller towns to connect with others who are the same. Like you don't have to be in a big city anymore. To, to find, you know, like-minded individuals or people of the same orientation as you. You can go online. <laughs> There's a digital third space you can exist in freely. And I think it can bring a lot of healing and it can create a lot of friendships as well. Uh, I, for one, created a lot of queer friends uh, through the internet. <laughs> 
Yeah, these fucks, I guess. <laughs> you people. Um, when, when I, I oh, go ahead, Brittany. You can go. No. Okay. Um, when I uh, when I first decided, okay, it's time for me to come out. I'm releasing books with lesbians. It's gonna happen anyway. It's time for me to just drag myself out. Um, I was really scared to do it in, on Facebook where people from my community were there. It, I did talk to people privately in Facebook messages, but I did not want to just, you know, start talking about being a lesbian or anything there. So I started doing it on Twitter because I had like no followers at the time. And I was like, and it was just, it was huge for me to just be able to go into the bio and type in lesbian because at the time I was scared of the word almost, except for when I was writing. So when I typed in the word lesbian and just put it in my bio, that was just life-changing for me. And then I ended up getting probably, no, definitely more people more friends on Twitter than I have on Facebook. And I was there more often and everything. And and the more I was able to be out around people and realize that, you know, not everybody in the world is going to hate me for it. The more I was just like, you know what? It's okay if people hate me for it because they were kind of making my life horrible anyway. So it became easier to be out and other things and and that's all internet like I don't know if I could have come out as easily in real life if I hadn't had the internet to make it okay first and I have to say I have a pretty similar experience there um I only really started to come to terms with being bisexual when I was probably around 25 26 um I think when I was 26, I came out to um, my my really good friend, my best friend, Kaylee. Um, I came out to her because I was like, we were just in a car. We were like getting ready to go to a concert and we were just talking and I'm like, so I'm pretty sure I'm bisexual. And she's like, thank you so much for telling me. And like, that was the conversation. But the only reason I had like that courage to do that is because in spaces, I had started referring to myself as bi. Like I had been exploring it through the TTRPG space. Like I had various characters that were into women. And in doing that, I was able to explore, you know, my feelings in that matter. And, you know, one the day that I made my my Twitter banner, the uh, a bisexual pride flag, was like a big day for me and I didn't you know I'm still not officially out on Facebook to everybody like my whole family doesn't know I have like a special setting where I you know post certain things where certain family members can't see but as of this past year I came out to my mom um and my dad which is a whole thing we won't get into <laughs> my family is very com uh, complicated however uh, as an update my my dad is a woman um she came out as trans uh, a couple years ago and uh, is living as a woman now, which is wonderful. Um, but it, it certainly made everything, everybody start talking to each other more about themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, as someone who had a very similar experience, Brittany, I want to say thank you for your vulnerability, genuinely, because that's, um, I'm, I'm no... I'm not quiet about this. Uh, I'm, I'm very ashamed of my past. I grew up in a tiny little Missouri town and I was so afraid of going to hell that I was homophobic. 
I was a, a bad fucking person and it was just me trying to hide from myself. Um, so I, I understand, like I, I get that small town and hell, like I, uh, kind of piggybacking off of Corinne's story, my whole, I didn't tell my entire family, like my immediate family that I was bisexual until two months ago. Wow. My, my mom knew and her first reaction was, does that mean that the guy that's now my husband is just a beard? Um, <laughs> but that's the I just put my head in my hands for anybody who can't see <laughs> that's the same woman who got my son and his trans girlfriend pre- Christmas presents that said from Grammy and Grumpy for Christmas so and use the correct names and everything so yeah there's still hope man there's healing but oh it's rocky Ooh, it's rocky. It takes time. And I feel like we're definitely in a time of change. Um, there's a lot more queer representation in the world, um, in media. Uh, there's, you know, one of my favorite movies is a movie that probably never would have been made, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, it's called Hearts Beat Loud. And um, it stars uh, Nick Offerman as a dad who is... Um, bringing uh he's like trying to get kind of like one last summer in with his daughter before she goes to college because she's going away to medical school and meanwhile um he he's like let's start a band and they start a band and it actually kind of starts working he's like maybe she'll stay and she won't go away to college because she's moving like to a different uh part of the country but all the while this is happening with the dad and the daughter the daughter is falling in love um with a woman that she met and it is just this wonderful, like, summer love story. And Nick Offerman, as the dad, is, like, just totally, like, oh, you love a woman? Great. You know? Like, it is not a problem. And that is something where, like, it not being the main conflict, it not being the problem, it just being a part of the story is not something we would have seen even five years ago, ten years ago. You know? Like, it was just a part of the story. And it's one of my favorite movies because of that. Because... It's just there, you know? It's not a problem. It's just another part of the story is that she's falling in love with this woman and she is, she now kind of doesn't want to leave, but at the same time, she knows she wants to go to medical school and she has to leave both this woman and her father behind to do it. And it's such a sweet movie, everyone. Watch it. It's so cute. You're going to have so to cute. message me that title later. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. I love this movie. I've, I just, I watch it when I want to like cry in a good way. <laughs> Fall and your hurt comfort. Shut up, Roxy. It's just so good. We, I need an outlet, okay? I keep my emotions in a little box, so when I want to cry, I have to make it happen. Um, I, I'm going to be a bit of a butthole and keep pushing us forward. Yes, uh, we have to talk more questions. Yes, Brittany. Before we do, that was a pretty heavy question, and we all kind of went into some heavy shit. Are you good? Do you need a break? Just checking in with how you're feeling. Um, I'm okay. I'm good. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I I'm I am the I am the sense of like I am the comedy relief, but I'm also very much a, a mom personality. So I'm like, are you doing okay? Do you need some orange slices? Is happy slices? <laughs> or orange slices and Gatorade. Don't <laughs> offer this esteemed author a juice box. Don't. <laughs> Everybody loves juice boxes. Uh, so I have I have asthma, and um, when I laugh uh, too much, I 
get gross coughs, basically. Here's the inhaler in case I need it. Hot. <laughs> Hot. Uh, lo- love a gal who can't laugh too much without not being able to breathe. <laughs> Correct. I do. You do, and I love that about you. You need to put rhinestones on the inhaler, you know. <laughs> Dolly it up. Yeah. It's essentially like my I'm too happy inhaler. <laughs> oh. Oof. All right. If it's okay, I'm going to pr- proceed with the interview. Proceed. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so sorry. Um, Never apologize. Genuinely, uh, one of our community members, I also second this, uh, but one of our community members said, I, ju- I just want to thank her for the huge focus on consent. Thank you. So many people write smut books or like sex scenes in books and they're just like, like they're into CNC, but they don't properly warn it or they don't like it's not very handled dubious. well. Yes, and I appreciate your handling of consent. That's I'm the one that always bitches about how kink is handled in stories. So I very much am like, yes, thank you. Um, so someone said, uh, do you have any plans for various book cover art or styles? I'm also interested in this question. Um. Well, it, I mean, one day my... My hope is that eventually I can just do uh, illustrated covers and not even have to uh, bother with, like, stock art and stuff like that. Uh, But um, obviously I'm not there yet. So my plan for the first book was ship and sword, maybe, um, like, orange or red or whatever. So that's what the first book is. And um, then the second book, I wanted blue. Blue is my favorite color. So I wanted to do blue for Goddess of the Sea. And um, and I wanted something. Well, I wasn't totally sure if I was going to be able to pull off something that's more obviously sapphic, but I found a picture that actually had somebody who was not white in it and so I was like oh this this might work and so I was able to get that for the second one and the third one I want definitely want a dragon on it I don't know if I'll be able to pull it off yet but it will probably be green ish and um then yeah one day I would like to I would like to have like and stuff like publishers get to do but so uh, I, I don't want to interrupt, and I and I don't mean to pimp out Andy. <laughs> I am an artist. I was an art teacher, um, and I do merchandising for one of our stream friends. I do a lot of art. So if you ever, yes, I was, it, it, feel free. I, my DMs are open if you ever want to collaborate on something or you just are like, I can, I can see it, but I can't, like, make it happen. I can do, like, a mock-up for you to work off of or anything happy to do that also i saw on your website not that i looked you up or anything uh i saw that there's a fan art section and it's so delightful it's y'all need to look this up on my way right now it's my favorite thing i i looked at i looked at it before it is delightful i love seeing everybody's interpretations and makes you so happy I love fan art. <laughs> Me too. For real. I'm still sort of in shock that I'm that I'm actually getting it now because like I never thought I was 
I never thought I would get fan art. I was always like, you know, I'm tiny author. I don't, <laughs> I don't get that kind of stuff. And then I started getting it and I'm like, does this mean I'm not a tiny author anymore? Well, I have to say your book is so good. <laughs> it deserves all the fan art. I love it so much. It Like whenever I go to make posts about the fan art, I'm just like, there are really no words to make posts about this. So I sit there and I like dwell on what I'm going to say for like months at a time, because I'm just like, how do I say that this is literally the best thing I've ever seen? <laughs> this is not the same, but it's similar. We have someone in our community that's writing a fan fiction about us. And I was like, <laughs> I can only I can only relate like I feel like it's a very similar feeling of like what the fuck dude is that allowed can this happen to us yeah you like something I did so much you want to fucking create something about it I, we inspired you you know I, what I think the fuck? It, it's a bizarre feeling it it it's it doesn't feel real I would say So now I have a fun little question. Earlier in the previous episode, uh, folks, make sure you listen to the foreplay because it's amazing. We talk about favorite romance tropes, but Brittany, I want to know what your least favorite romance trope is. What do you What do you just hate? What can you not stand? Um. Well. My philosophy these days is that, um, well, aside from, obviously, I cannot stand barrier gaze at all. That is my least favorite thing in the world. But, <laughs> obviously, outside of problematic tropes, what I try to think these days is that until I've seen it done by everybody, like every, um identity every race any marginalized person who hasn't got a shot at it yet I try not to judge it because I was my least favorite in high school and college for that matter was love triangle I was like so against love triangles because I was just like they're so toxic there's so much like men just like pretending to be you know it was just annoying to me <laughs> I don't know. And then I start writing and I end up with a love triangle that's not straight. And I'm like, why am I doing this? And then I'm like, well, you know, it's not that bad when it's not straight. It, this one's working, you know. And and so I realized that part of what I was hating so much was that it was always the same thing. And so as things, as diverse things get shots at things, it can make you uh, question what you disliked in the first place about it, you know. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, friends to lovers doesn't have the same appeal to me as some others, but then I read it and some of them are really, really good. So, you know, if I, if I'm told that there's a trope, sometimes I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to like that, but then I read it and, um, I have a least favorite besides Barrier Gate. Amen. A freaking men to that. Fuck want... fridging and fuck Barrier Gaze. Oh, fridging. Sorry. I hate fridging so much. Um, so I, I do want to say 
uh, a quick shout out to Chuck Tingle for his upcoming novel, Barrier Gaze, um, which is specifically calling out the barrier gaze trope in relation to the supernatural fandom. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yes. Thank fuck. Oh, I could write. Oh, I could write so many essays. Yeah. Um. The uh, it is it is clearly a commentary on supernatural and how it buried its gaze. Um. But it's also a horror novel, and I, I just had to give that a shout out because we love Chuck Tingle on this podcast. This time, the gays are the ones big coming this summer. <laughs> this time, you won't go to super hell for admitting your love for Garrett, for this man that you have brought back from hell multiple times. <laughs> this man, you have devoted your like immortal life to you have summer. literally died for multiple <laughs> times <laughs> sorry roxy what were you saying <laughs> this summer <laughs> this summer that's it that's all i'd like that's oh. my intellectual oh. addition to the discussion yeah. <laughs> yeah of course all right fair enough it's, uh, this summer i love it i was i was big in the supernatural fandom so i'm like yes drag them Drag them across the fucking coals. Yeah, I think Chuck was too, because it's funny. Like, the book isn't inherently about Supernatural, but there's been multiple posts by Chuck being like, I'm not going to say it is. (laughs) (laughs) Wink. Corinne, don't wink. Don't. I can't. just need to see that. Don't show her. No! It's awful. Corinne can't wink. I can't wink. Weakness. But look, look, I can do this. That's better. See, there you go. Yeah. The double. Yeah, you do that. Don't you wink? <laughs> I wink buddy. and it's a horrible tragedy. <laughs> it's just not for you, bud. Sometimes things just aren't for you. <laughs> That's okay. I I can't control my face separately. It's a whole thing. Uh, <laughs> so next question. If you were a pirate, what job would you have and what would your pirate nickname be? Um... Well, in in this next book, there is a position for a musician, and that was sometimes a job of pirates. That would probably be what I'm best at. Um, they could probably put me in like some kind of bookkeeping or something, but I'm not going to be climbing any any uh, rigging or, or anything. I would definitely fall. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> I also can't be trusted with like nails and stuff because I, one time when I was working at Dairy Queen, I cut my hand open with a plastic knife. So I can't trust oh, no, no. things. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at your pain. <laughs> Ironically, I have like a whole knife collection now and haven't cut myself yet on those, but I am very clumsy. <laughs> So, you're going to be the uh, pirate musician, the musician on the crew. What do you think they'd call you? People usually just call me quiet or something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See, I was going to say Bardney Jackson, but that's just, <laughs> that's me being a dad. Bardney? <laughs> yeah, because it's Brittany and she's a bard. I get, I get like, it. I got it. Awesome. I got it. Got... She likes it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's here for our dad jokes. <laughs> Listen, what can I say? That was I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> Very specific set of skills. 
specific <laughs> I can uh, quote Liam Neeson any time of the day or night. <laughs> Sorry. Who has the next question? Andy. I believe that it's Mia. <laughs> Mia. Sorry. Who's the least favorite character you've ever created? And who's your favorite? Making you choose between your babies now. Yeah, so that that is hard. Now, least favorite, I think, is is an easier one because in my um in my vampire series, the very first villain that I went with is just basically like if you I was taking psychology at the time, so um if you took the like basic, you know, idea of a psychopath. A sadistic psychopath and put that person into a torture loving vampire position that is my very first villain and I wrote the whole series in third person omniscient which meant I actually had to write at least a tiny bit from his point of view in a way and I hated it like it was like uh it just going to a dark place I don't like it at all I um and then, and there were some other ones along the way that were like, so whenever there, there's a, a lot of these are falling under my vampire series, probably because there's so many books there for them. But um, they're, one of the villains is a group of es essentially vampire Nazis or Nazis against vampires. But they they are also very religious. So, you know, there's, there's a uh, real life Nazi idea to them as well. And they are, like, essentially, I got them created basically off of my family, Ooh. which is part of the reason they get, they all get killed off so, so quickly. Um, <laughs> not that I want to kill my family or anything. No, 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 I understand. Fucking respect. Yeah. I'll drink that. Yeah. I emptied respect. my drink, but there's a little bit left here. Um... There was a family reunion at the time when I was writing Assassins of Light, where um, it was it was not long after those uh, Nazi riot protest things, mm -hmm. and they got to talking, basically defending Nazis, and I got so mad that I grabbed my kids and I left and I never went back, and that. Yep. <laughs> I wrote a scene where they all get killed off and like I'm just like that was so therapeutic but um I never if went back can't, after that if, so definitely good therapeutic but, you you found it was very cathartic <laughs> just if you yeah. can't kill them in real life for you know legal reasons kill them in your books wham bam thank you ma'am doesn't it condone killing uh, we do condone killing in books I used to like get so out of sorts trying to argue with them and everything and get them because I thought, you know, if I just explained it better, they would stop being awful. But eventually that that was the final straw for me. I was just like, if they're going to defend Nazis, then there's no hope. So I'm just going to take my kids and get out of here. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes they're just not worth the effort of trying to help. Yeah. I... I will never forget. I was 17 and we went to this huge family reunion in Kentucky. Um, my family is related 
through family records um, to the Hatfields of the Hatfields and the McCoys, um, which for those of you that don't know, was a huge like family feud, like one of the biggest ones in history, and it happened in the American South. For those of you that do not know, I am biracial. I am half Middle Eastern, and we went to this family reunion, and I still had, because um, my wife is white, so my, my last name now is very white. By the time, it was still Middle Eastern. And when they saw what my last name was, even though I'm paler than all those bitches, uh, they said, are you sure she's a part of this family? Are you sure she belongs here? And my mom never went back. Oh, never. There, but the thing is, my immediately my immediate family is very welcoming, very loving. They've never made me feel othered. But sometimes, especially with these these reunions, I applaud you for protecting your kids and getting them away from that environment so they wouldn't be raised around that. Um, because yeah. it's a thing. It is a legit thing in the South. Sometimes you have to navigate these people who you you get when, guilt trip. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not just being there at these things and stuff like that. And yes, it's just eventually you have to like wonder how much guilt tripping was um, worth listening to. Uh huh. They should have been saying that stuff to themselves. Mm-hmm. Your potato salad sucks anyway, Helen. Fuck off. <laughs> I can make it better. <laughs> you Roxy, put I actual seasoning in. <laughs> Damn. Oh my god. Um, oh. But I, I absolutely love that it was cathartic. I love that so much. Uh, but like Corinne said, which was your favorite? Which, which is, which is your baby girl? Who did you love the most? It, it's, it's hard to choose, but I usually side more towards Kara and um she is the viking the lesbian viking of my vampire series there's a lesbian we haven't read this book there's a lesbian viking (laughs) and no one roxy is immediately interested sorry i'm I'm calm i'm fine (laughs) she she you're not but it's okay she's so much fun to write and that's part of it is it's just it's just fun she's very flirty and um just constantly it roses rose is really shy and she's really flirty so it's it's so much fun to just watch her um just constantly make rose blush and stuff but the other part of it is that she is 1400 years out as a lesbian so she's just confident it she's just um no uh hesitation and telling people that she's a lesbian and everything and at the time when I first started writing her I was not out and I was terrified to 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 talk about being a lesbian to even call myself a lesbian and everything and writing her was what made the biggest difference in that for me so there's so much emotional connection to her and Rose but mostly her because of her confidence and stuff and how that how that helped me. So I usually end up siding to her just because of the emotional connection to that uh, time of my life. 
she sounds great. I mean, I, I love her confident already. lesbian Viking. Sign us up. <laughs> gonna, We're gonna have to go back. And read gonna this. Buy my wife a horn helmet. <laughs> God damn it! Edit it out. Don't edit it. We're nope. not editing that out. That is staying. No, no she's. Uh... Everyone gets to know about Val in the Viking helmet. <laughs> Even Val. Even Val. Val gets to know that you're planning this. Nice she just wakes you. up and there's like a there's just a hat on her head and she's like what the fuck Roxy <laughs> I just want to see if it fit it's fine <laughs> okay I'm not sure whose turn it is to ask uh, I think it's I think it's fine um okay so other than the romance genre what other genres do you enjoy what do you really adore uh, fantasy is my all-time favorite. Before I even knew that I liked writing romance, I, it, when when I was in college, I was 100% sure that I hated romance, but it was because I was reading all straight stuff, and I felt like it was pressuring me into feeling a way that I didn't feel, and so there was, you know, it, it was all on my end, the reason I wasn't liking it. And so once I got past that, once I was reading like sapphic stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually do like romance. (laughs) (laughs) I love that so much. But fantasy is my all-time favorite to write. And um and I do like watching a lot of sci-fi, but I haven't I haven't written it since maybe one short story in college or high school. But um speculative love to take your i would love to see your take on sci-fi i think that'd be great i, I want I'm, dragons in space <laughs> i am a big fan of several sci-fi uh shows and stuff so it, it's but i love swords i would have to do something that gave them an excuse to have swords or at least a battle act. Well, I will say that the Locked Tomb series had a very good reason for there to be swords in space. So you can find a good reason, too. I have it on my bookshelf to read, and I still haven't read it. Uh, I I assume you would love it. (laughs) I haven't read it myself. It's on my list, but my husband read it. He loved it. It's basically lesbian necromancers in space. Yeah, it sounds it sounds awesome, and that's why I like grabbed it as soon. It's probably because people are like, "Oh, I cried after something is done," and then I'm like, "Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet." <laughs> the emotions. That's a better suggestion than me, who was like, "Oh, you could just make the swords lasers," and then I was like, "Oh, that's Star Wars. That's the Star Wars. God <laughs> damn it, laser swords already a thing. <laughs> Called lightsabers." <laughs> I would also have boxed if I'd got the idea first. They also have vibrosaurs, which are like meant to be able to. uh, Andy, don't make that flex. It's not dildos. They're called vibrosaurs. Yeah. What am I supposed to think? They're they're like meant to be able to like reflect like lightsabers without being lightsabers because you can only really use a lightsaber if you have the force. But it's like a electrical sword that it, it it it's meant to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I like I said, I Star that. Wars family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Star Wars family. Hey, come here. We may seem like put together professionals, 
but the Mams have a secret. We're huge geeks. Which is why we've partnered with Greenleaf Geek, a queer women-owned dice and gaming accessory shop. Based in Canada, but shipping worldwide, GLG is your one-stop shop for handmade custom dice, resin accessories, curated dice, and gaming gear. Leah's had her work mentioned on the Critical Role and Colac APs, and I've personally been a customer for years. With a wonderful customer loyalty program and the option to plant a tree with every purchase, Greenleaf Geek is the MAM's preferred dice provider. Visit greenleafgeek.com slash WBTYMPod and use code WBTYMPod at checkout for 5-10% to off on any product with a minimum purchase of $15. Get flirty and let's roll some dice. Now it's the next question. We're getting sad to it. <laughs> All right. Space dildos. Stop <laughs> Brittany, who is your favorite author? If you had to choose. Uh, it, it, it is it is very hard to pick because I go through periods where I'm just like, this is my favorite and then this is my favorite. And it, it, if I was going to go all the way from childhood, it's Neil Gaiman because I read everything along the way. And and I'm still just a really, I still go back every time I'm like in a uh, bad place emotionally. I still go back and reread those books. And uh, also Anne McCaffrey because I read all the Dragon Riders books. And... Uh, I do like a lot of the the sapphic fiction books I've re- I've read recently, but I don't want to I, I don't want to choose the, between any of them because I'm just like I like them all so much. <laughs> <laughs> I completely understand. We we read a lot of books on this podcast for obvious reasons, and it becomes very hard to pick a favorite author. Like I have one specifically, but she was my favorite before we started this podcast. If I had to pick between the other authors, though, it becomes really difficult. Yeah. You leave yeah. Alex to Campy alone. <laughs> I will find her and we will be friends. <laughs> Does she get a choice? Yes. Are but you lying? Maybe. <laughs> but she'll like me. Oh my God. Corinne. I, why am I the responsible one? This is disgusting. Take it back. <laughs> I'm sorry. She's just, she, I really love her writing style and it's very inspiring to me. <laughs> and I know she also loves Bucky Barnes and we can, we can vibe over that. Corinne's just <sighs> resting in the window. <laughs> Alex, let me in. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Andy. Andy, yes. ask a question. What scene in the Pirates of Aletheria book was the hardest for you to write? And why? Sorry, it's an interview now. Uh, give, tell me some of your shirts. It's an interview. It's, that's the, that's yeah, the I meant like a job interview. <laughs> I knew what I meant. Um, I probably spent the longest going back and redoing the Pirates, uh, the Pirates Code chapter. Because it's important for a lot of reasons, so it has to be there. I mean, for one, you know, it's really kind of a rite of passage for a pirate book to have a place where you sign the code. But um, on top of that, there's also 
it's also the scene where Amelia realizes how well Maria manipulated her because she is completely uh, convinced that Maria does not want her on the ship and that she convinced Maria to put her on the ship when in reality it was the other way around. And so it's it's the scene where she realizes that and then has to deal with her uh, her uh, her feelings towards the way Catherine manipulated her and and feeling like she is constantly at fault for being manipulated and everything. So it's very important for the character as well. But it is hard to do a scene where you're where you're de dealing with information and and try to keep it so interesting. So I just kept having to go back and rewrite it and go, it's still gonna, it still might feel slow. How do I make this, you know, a little less slow? But it feels important. So, you know, so I kept, I kept rewriting it and rewriting it. And eventually, um, eventually I just sort of had to accept that it was as good as it was going to get. I have to say, that chapter made me laugh so hard with the addition of don't fuck Helen. <laughs> that code yeah. was like, and then, and then it wasn't written neatly. It was like added, like scribbled quickly. Yeah. Like, that made us just crack up. Oh my gosh. Yeah, Honestly, like amazing I addition. I would have gotten kicked out for that rule, I think. I was really vibing with Helen. Alone. I was vibing with Helen's vibe. She was cool. <laughs> If Maria kept, if Maria stood by any of her rules, Judith would have been kicked out long ago. <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah, Maria seems like a lenient captain, all things considered. It's more of a guideline. Yeah. <laughs> so, what scene was your favorite to write? What did you really enjoy writing? The the first kiss, the sword fight. I, yes! oh, oh, such a good scene. I in in one point I didn't I, I didn't like revisiting my own feelings of like uh, of self destruct spiral the way you know you can feel like everybody or everything is telling you not to do it but you feel like you have no control it's just you're just falling and you're doing these things that are just not smart but you're doing them anyway because you you're depressed you're 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 feeling guilty or whatever's causing it so that part was not pleasant but the fight itself and the kiss that was just so much fun to write it was fun to read <laughs> yeah that was a wonderful scene that first yeah. kiss got us yeah. all of us all and, the tension it's also a lot of fun, you know uh, since you've already read it, I don't have to worry about spoiling it, but it's also a lot of fun to be the only person who knows why Maria is winning so easily because Amelia's just like, what the heck is happening? But Maria knows everything she's doing. And so it's like, I'm the only person in on it at that moment. And it's it's fun. <laughs> it It was a really wonderful moment of both storytelling and romance building. Like, you get the tension, you get the kiss, you get all of this, like, intrigue of, is Maria really just this great of a swords swordsman, or is something else going on, you know? It was, it was seriously well done, well done. Thank you. All right, so, did you intend to have Amelia be neurodivergent coded? 
Yes, she, uh, I talk about it on social media a little bit, um, mostly on Twitter, probably. But um, it's really hard to do it when you're with a with a fantasy setting that's sort of based on historical settings, because you don't have the same words. So you have to say it with everything that's happening instead of just being able to be like, oh, well, she's autistic. But she is very much <laughs> autistic. And um, it, it with my vampire series, Rose, honestly, when I went back to read it to add in some, uh, no, it was when I was writing the fourth book. I was just like, oh my gosh, I've wrote, written an autistic character all this time and didn't realize it. But, <laughs> but with Amelia, it was very purposeful. She is, uh, she is autistic. I really enjoyed Amelia's characterization. I, I thought it was very well done. Mm -hmm. I I absolutely love how you bring up that this has kind of always existed even if there wasn't a word for it so often um, not clients themselves but oftentimes their parents will talk to me and they'll be like oh this is just a recent thing that's exploded you know it's yeah. because of what's in their food or people make them think they have this and I'm like oh have you ever heard of the term changeling in Ireland about how children up to a certain age would almost uh, feel switched and the fairies did it, honey, listen up, come on now. You know, all those, yeah. those eccentric types throughout history, come on, come, sit down, sit, let's be real. <laughs> Do you think germs just randomly existed before we discovered germ theory? I'm not going to rant. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> We've we've hit a hot spot. <laughs> she doesn't feel strongly at all. <laughs> she feels nothing. That is the face of apathy. Uh, <laughs> that's the, the sound of apathy. <laughs> that's the sound of drinking. <laughs> sound of drinking. <laughs> God damn it. Um, I, I very much love. Helen and Judith like I I fuck like you can ask them I I tend to fuck with like background characters I don't look at what that says about me as a person um but I really fuck with Helen and Judith and uh one of our questions is if they switch job for a day jobs for a day what would Helen cook <laughs> and I'm very interested in this definitely a bomb like <laughs> if she didn't mean to it would somehow turn into a bomb <laughs> Wonderful <laughs> <soup>. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, if you haven't read the book, uh, Helen is in charge of like demolitions and Judith is the ship cook. Uh, and they have a lovely relationship. Please go read this book. Um, so the idea that if Helen had to cook for the crew, that she would turn it into a bomb by accident. <laughs> Just... She she very much reminds me of the character from Atlantis. Yes! The, the demolitionist. Yes. And he's like, I got dynamite, I got bombs, I got this, I got gunpowder. What can I get you? <laughs> I love it so much. What's the soup of the day, Helen? Dynamite. <laughs> I got dynamite, I got gunpowder. <laughs> Would you like my dynamite stoop? Meanwhile, <laughs> you scroll, you pan over, and Judith is loading a cannon up with potatoes. <laughs> what are you doing? The first potato cannon. 
question I'm especially interested in I often absolutely hate in romance novels where I feel like PTSD is only allowed in male protagonists and it's utilized as a way to kind of you know oh they're gruff and they they went through a war and they're healing you know I, I feel like whenever I see PTSD it is never accurately portrayed however in your book you did an amazing job. Like, I, I've already talked about it on our previous episode, but you portrayed it in such a way that you brought up, like, sensory triggers. Like, a big part of the book is, you know, she can't be handcuffed because it reminds her of when she was imprisoned. So Maria works with her and makes sure she doesn't experience that sensation again. Did you do any research on PTSD or CPTSD for this book? Because... From, from a therapist, you did an amazing job. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, when when I was 12, I had my, well, I think it was my very first panic attack. And I was at school and um, I passed out. Because whenever you first have your first panic attack, if you don't mm -hmm. ha know how to get through it, you know, it, it is it is really easy to hyperventilate and pass out. And I guess that's what happened. And so I had to go to the doctor and we're thinking it's going to or I'm thinking it's going to be something physical. And they end up sending me to a psychiatrist. And, um, you know, due to uh, physical and, and sexual abuse, I got diagnosed with PTSD. Which I don't know. If CPTSD was a thing at the time, they only told me about PTSD at the time, but I had to go through so many years of therapy for it. And the, really the only reason I even stopped because I still struggle with it today. The only reason I even stopped was like financial reasons, you know, but um, I went through all the uh, grounding techniques and all that kind of stuff. And so all of that comes into play whenever I'm writing, I can, I can, um, rely on those grounding techniques. And Amelia focuses on things around her when she's mm -hmm. trying to calm herself down. And, you know, and when you have a character who, who sort of knows that they're seeing a panic attack, they can have, they can sort of try to ground the person themselves by saying, you know, like, look at me or look at this or, you know, something like that. And Maria, she can see it because she has been, you know, she, she tries to hide it, but she has been through all of this before. And, um, and then there's all these things that, you know, they don't show on, you know, it, it's great when they do show PTSD in anything, because, you know, when I was little, I felt like I, or when I was a teenager, I felt like I was crazy. I, I, I did not know anybody who had it. And so, and, and my, my dad was military, so he was all, and my uncles too, and everybody, and they're all like, you can't have PTSD from physical abuse. You have to go to war for that, you know? <laughs> and I'm just oh. like, well, then why am I be? <laughs> Don't get me started, Brittany. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, but there are things they don't show because yeah. they're not as pretty. Like, you know, the, the actual panic attack where your face is turning red and you can't breathe or the fact that it it causes digestive issues you're gonna you're gonna get sick you're gonna throw up you're not gonna be able to eat things right your hands are gonna shake you know 
you you can't see you know when you start when your heart rate gets too high things start blurring you know and there's just all these these symptoms that aren't pretty that aren't always shown but I've been through them so I can I, I can add those in you know and um that's the biggest part like I do um try to look up new things every now and then because there are things that have come um, like I mean like I had never even heard the term CPTSD until a few years ago because none of my therapists mentioned it back then and um so that's obviously a new thing that I could look up but um but a lot of it just comes down to things that I learned in therapy I that makes complete sense because you did such a good job I was like she she must have researched this like extensively <laughs> but now it makes sense that it comes from like firsthand experiences um and like like you said you know that trope of oh you have to have been to war i um throughout my my career i've worked at domestic violence shelters almost all my clients had ptsd and they were femme individuals you know uh it's very much a trope that is not true whatsoever yes you can have it if you are a victim of war however traumatic events are not isolated to only the battlefield and i i love that you brought that up so i i want to ask that one was another heavy question do we need a break before we go on or do we, are we okay i think i'm okay okay we have a light question next which of your other books would you recommend folks check out? Um, well, the, the my only things so far have been series. Despite my efforts to sometimes write something standalone, it always turns into a series because once I get to writing it, I'm like, well, this is actually a much bigger story than I thought it was, and it's going to take more steps. You know, you can't just... Sometimes it seems small whenever you're first planning it and then you get into it like whenever I first started with the vampire series. Well, no, I can't say that without spoiling something. But the plot twist was the only thing besides the characters that I knew. And so then I start getting into it and I'm like, I can't go straight from page one to the plot twist. She has to become, you know, a vampire, get put in that world, you know, and all that kind of stuff first. So, um, but so all I have a series, but the the vampire series is it has sapphic in game, but the main character is bisexual, so it's not sapphic from the start. She, I wanted, I mean, she does sort of stare at a few women, but who doesn't? But um, <laughs> we all do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she is with a guy at first, and so for a lot of people, that is a that that is not sapphic to them but she does it, it is sapphic in game because the main love interest is a lesbian viking but it's it's a little i would say it's a little heavier than um parts of alitharia in that there's a lot of trauma and stuff that she's having which i mean amelia and maria have a lot of trauma too but i think I guess the reason I would say it's a little heavier is because Mar Rose's trauma is sexual. So mm. 
it's probably heavier to me because it is a trigger for me. But I do always try to avoid things that are really obviously triggering. So um, if I can, if I can do something off page that, that um, I think might trigger people, I will try to do it off page instead of doing it. So with her, she does, it, this is many years into her future that she's dealing with all of this trauma. She is way past the, the uh, sexual trauma itself but or, or the sexual trauma event itself because it happened when she was a kid but well no it happened when she was a kid and then again when she was a teenager so it's been reintroduced that's why she's having so many problems with her PTSD later on and everything but um yeah I would say it's I would say it's heavier because her depression and trauma is a plot point but that being said, she's also the most sarcastic person I've ever written. I love Constantly sarcasm in a book. Something to say. <laughs> <laughs> and and Kara is just always flirting and always making her blush. So you you do have plenty of comic relief and and um fun stuff with the dark stuff. But yeah, yeah, I would say be prepared for it to be a tiny bit darker. What's the name of that series or the name of the first book for everybody listening? Um, it's the Creatures of Darkness series. And the first book is The Stone of the Eclectos. That, the first book is the one where she is not a vampire yet. And so it's it's telling how she got into it. And at this point, she is with a guy. But now there is, it, Eric is, try, is already trying to set her up with Kara in book one. But in book two, she meets Kara. And that's where the sapphic love triangle takes over and that's <laughs> you said sapphic love triangle and sorry Roxy was immediately <laughs> this is my question i didn't just forget immediately <laughs> if amelia and maria's love story was set in a modern and non-fantasy setting what jobs do you think they'd have um amelia would probably be a doctor or a vet <laughs> because she she would definitely take to every animal around her even in the real world um maria i think would probably still end up being like some kind of crime lord or something because she <laughs> she just doesn't do well with uh corrupt governments and you know she'd she'd get she she'd see it in the real world too and just be like okay i'm just gonna <laughs> i can just go I see like a, a fanfic where like amelia's a vet and this this mobster brings in her hurt kitten and <laughs> or it is a common trope where a criminal will go to a vet to get fixed after hours instead of a doctor instead of a doctor because a vet doesn't need to report it to the cops if there's a gunshot wound Some you are from Chicago, aren't you? Jesus. <laughs> God. Uh, also, my family is in the same graveyard as Al Capone. So we got the Hatfields and the McCoys. <laughs> we got the Persian Empire. We got the Ozarks. And then we got the the, the Chicago mobsters. And then we all write, you know, podcast stuff for smut novels. That's, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's two missing people that pretty much everyone in my county is convinced were fed to hogs, but nobody can <laughs> confirm it. 
And so we just, they're still missing. Wham Bam, thank you, ma'am, does not hold itself responsible for anything discussed during Wham Bam, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> the old sheriff's family did it. Whoopsie. Anyway. <laughs> Oopsie doodle. We're pretty sure my uncle's in the mob. Thumbs up. <laughs> What's the next question? <laughs> I'll give a question. Will we ever get a chapter from the real star, Rat Slayer's point of view? Maybe uh, that would make a very good uh, <laughs> bonus just thing. Add on at the end. <laughs> it's just meow, 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 meow. <laughs> cat emoji, meow, cat emoji, meow, cat emoji. Meow, cat emoji. Meow. <laughs> I jump up, I catch rat. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Thank you to the Wham Bam Mams for co-writing. Meow, 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 meow. if I wasn't sure at the time that uh, the Anna McCaffrey series played a role in the inspiration, I'm sure that was probably part of it because um, Amelia is a dragon rider and uh, and that, that series actually, I mean like I went back and reread it recently or I, just like maybe a few weeks ago and I was just like I this was so feminist at the time and now I'm just oh. like why is he talking about raping her um but like it, it doesn't hold up to the time for sure but it was very feminist at the time and it was one of the few fantasy series I read was female um protagonist um I've also always loved Neil Gaiman's approach to fantasy how it's um sort of about the characters and not just about the about the magic it's it's also the characters and the characters are the magic you know and uh I was also like many people not totally on board with the last season or the last few episodes of Rage, Game of Thrones, Rage? so that may have been oh, part of it. Oh, that last season. And... Just, oh, my brain. The flames. Oh. The flames of my brain. <laughs> I mean, there were so many times, like, I, I was I was a big fan of it in the beginning, and I read the first book and everything, and then sort of fell off in the reading because I was falling off in the show because they were doing these interviews after mm -hmm. the rape scenes that were already gratuitous and men were just awful. They were saying things like, oh, well, it's not rape if the person enjoyed it and all that kind of stuff. And that's just really upsetting if you've ever been through it. So, you know, I started getting really frustrated with them way earlier and then that last season just submitted it. It's okay. You've heard me. Uh, just 
<laughs> just cemented it because they were just, I, I mean, did you see the interview? You should have known that Danny was crazy because she didn't care when her brother was killed. And I'm just like, her brother was horrible like to her. her she shouldn't have cared. Jesus. Yeah. Well, and in the last season, especially like things that had taken months of time in the other seasons was suddenly like, oh, we're here in a day. Like a time travel suddenly existed or like teleportation. (laughs) It was just like not even the story itself was consistent. Yeah. They were just ready to be done and you could tell. And it was funny because they screwed themselves over because they were supposed to get a Star Wars series and then they fucked up the last season and... Disney was like, mm, no thanks. <laughs> uh, but we could talk about Game of Thrones all day. I will say that uh, I I do love uh, the 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 bear, uh, the 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 Lady of Bear Island. Yes, um, she was my favorite, and she it, that actress is excellent in um, uh, The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Thank you. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, fantastic actor. Uh, I believe they may be non-binary. Yeah. I love Last of Us. I didn't play the game because I don't have a PlayStation. But um, when I watched the show, I was just like, I was putting off mm-hmm. one of the episodes because there were child deaths in it. And once I watched it, I just kept going through the whole thing was, and just crying so in well every done. single episode. Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, like, <laughs> such an amazing job. I, I loved the Nick Offerman episode. It was so, like, yes. bittersweet. And when yeah. the strawberries grew, oh, the strawberries. But like I said, we can also talk about this all day. But we're okay, gonna, okay, we're gonna I got a part two. I got a part, you have a part two, two from this mystery person. I don't know her. I don't <laughs> And yet you know this person is a her. (laughs) Strange. So weird like that. Anyway, uh, so how many drafts did you go through for the finished product? Uh, Did you have an editor or did you self-edit? Well, with the first, I, well, with the second, I can't even tell you how many drafts because I'm so bad at this. Like, I just... I get, I, that's the reason I can never tell anybody when my books are going to be done and actually be right about it. Like I, I, I have so much guilt because I tell people the wrong date so many times, but I genuinely believe it when I tell them, <laughs> but I get to the end and I'm just like, no, this is horrible. I'm going to start <laughs> over. <laughs> so I just keep doing it over and over. Pirates of Alatharia, I started it over so many times because I was just like, it, the first time I was like, it's going to start here and end here. And then I realized, of course, that it could not end there. That it that end would have to come like three books in the future. And and then I kept starting it in different places. And uh, I kept rewriting scenes and changing certain things and everything. And uh, I don't I don't even know. I know with. I can tell you that with Goddess of the Sea right now, there are four finals on my file name. So I have at least done four final drafts. <laughs> I don't know how many I drafts I did. I love that. the final four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I, every time I go on it, I just add another final. 
Because I've learned the hard way that if you don't add the other final, you get confused about which one wants the final. Final, final, for real this final, time, final. Final, final, final. 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 <laughs> with, with one of my uh, vampire books, I got so confused about which one was the final that I just ended up restarting another final. <laughs> Because I just kept going through it and I'm like, I can't <laughs> tell which one of these was the last one because I renamed them all final. Oh my god, so. I love it. So so you self-edit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I did with the first one. With the second one I'm going to have help, but um I do have I do have programs that I send it to send it through. Um and you know, like I did uh I did my master's in English, so I learned a lot of the little program you can use to help you uh, self-edit, and I used a lot of those, and then I had I had one beta reader. With this one, I have more, and I have an editor, but I did not have that kind of money back then. I don't really have that kind of money now. Believe I believe us, we understand this, this podcast only maybe started recently <laughs> making a profit. <laughs> That's because we put our money back into advertising, though, and giving gifts yeah. to the community, and we could yeah. we could make a profit if we didn't do any of that, but like for growing purposes, you know. Yeah, you, you, you put it back into everything you make goes back in the and... labor of love. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So next question. You've mentioned that the premise was inspired by Pirates of the Caribbean. That was in uh, the notes of the book. How much has the series changed from your initial inspiration? Mm -hmm. Um, quite a bit, but also, like, I saw my, uh, post, my tweet, or, or fa it was Facebook memories, that's what it was, um, my original Facebook post, when I was first starting it, I was still working on the vampire series, and I was sort of making fun of myself, because, you know, I had decided to start a book with a witch and a, uh, pirate and a dragon all in one book and I'm just like how am I gonna make this work and which was kind of uh encouraging to see because I'm like oh I used to actually doubt that this could happen and now it, it's all and you have one another book one already out. published you know, <laughs> and get a book yeah now it's now it's happened it just doesn't even feel strange anymore because the world exists to me now you know and that's that's one of the cool things about the writing process is how when you start out you're just like I don't know if I can make this work at all and then at the end the world is just already and alive you I know? was gonna say it does feel like a very living but, world uh, yes well I mean even when you're writing it like that's that's the goal if it doesn't feel alive to me then I probably would never publish it because I would never um be able to finish I mean like it's it, it's part of the it's part of the uh clicking part of writing like it doesn't click until it feels alive until it feels like it's moving without you and you're just the person writing it all down I can't remember if I answered the question or not I, I think you answered you it did, well enough you did <laughs> you did you did you answered it in a roundabout way and that <laughs> is what wham bam thank you ma'am is about we, we dance around the question. Like dancing around a fire in the forest. <laughs> oh like God. a bunch of naked witches. Andy, ask the next one. Like. 
Like? We are a bunch of naked witches. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Without too many spoilers, do you have a favorite scene from the upcoming Goddess of the Sea? Like most things, when I'm picking a favorite, it changes from day to day because I'm decisive. Fair. But, um... One of my favorites at the moment is a scene where Amelia gets to, um, like, uh, this book is basically the opposite of the first book because, which is, it's part of writing fantasy because, like, whenever you, whenever we were reading books in, like, the early 90s and stuff, the fantasy books would have, like, a whole chapter of, build up or prologue where it just like tells you the world from the beginning to the end and everything and you can't do that anymore because that's not the way the genre is these days these days you want to just drop somebody in the middle of a fantasy world and try to get them comfortable in it in as few steps as possible and one of the quickest ways to do that or one of the the uh most comfortable ways to do that is to choose a character that feels like the fish out of water and make them your main point of view character. And so in book one, since it is a pirate book, Amelia is the fish out of water. She She's not comfortable with the Elobian culture. She's She doesn't know much about ship life or anything. So it's easy to, to keep it feeling comfortable for the reader in this new fantasy world if you choose her. But in the second book, I've been able to go a little bit more with Maria because she is more the fish out of water in this one because she's now having to be introduced to the magical world, which she's never had anything to do with. And it's kind of funny because she is so arrogant. She thinks she knows everything and she's having to like learn that she doesn't. But um, the... uh. So a lot of those scenes are really fun, but there is a few scenes where it gets really emotional where Amelia is the person who is able to, because Amelia can see Maria now, you know, once she got past understanding what the facade was, she's the one who can see Maria for who she is, whereas everybody else just sort of respects her for who she's trying to be. And so when getting to see her actually show Maria that, or, or to write her actually showing Maria that she is worthy of respect just as she is as a person was really wonderful to write. Like it, it, it was a very emotional scene for me to write. Well, that sounds wonderful. I can't wait for that. Oh my gosh. So our next question uh god damn it so one of our mams has a bit of a reputation not saying oh she's pointing at herself oh it's corinne it's Cor she has a reputation in our community for loving tall women as a six foot tall woman myself it's rough out here <laughs> in this podcast all right but we have a question where it is, are we going to get giant ladies and goddess of the sea? One of our mams, Corinne, <coughs> loves giant ladies. Um, I don't, I don't know if there are any giant ladies in this one. 
there is if it doesn't get cut now it could still get cut because my my drafts are always too long but there is a scene where we go a little bit into the discussion of folk and his his culture which is a lot of them are giants and uh we talk a little bit about his boyfriend but that is also still a man so or his ex-boyfriend not his boyfriend anymore but <laughs> we loved folk we yeah. loved oh my god that's so exciting oh my god folk was a man favorite we loved oh yeah him. oh yeah <laughs> I will accept giant men as well. Except, uh, <laughs> I mean, which man? Uh, I'm sorry, uh, it didn't say which one. Uh, damn it. <laughs> I would say that Alessa is larger than a human woman, so uh, she could count. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> All right, last question. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Will you press charges against Roxy for saying she pressed against your window waiting for the second book to come out? And can we convince you not to? <laughs> God damn it. I will not press charges, but I will advise against it because I do have two boys and I never know what kind of messes they're going to make or anything. <laughs> She's right there doing this. She's watching you right. No, wait, kid. Put your Fortnite away. Well, thank you so much for not pressing charges because as we've learned, Andy is not a real lawyer. I'm not lawyer. a real lawyer. I just play one <laughs> on TV. This whole time? I just play one on TV. This, this whole <laughs> time we thought Andy was a lawyer. We were wrong. <laughs> I'm cracking up. <laughs> thank you for being so cool about Roxy. <laughs> Two parents in the principal's office. Like, thank you so much for your patience. We're working with her. <laughs> we understand that she's been a trouble in class, and you know she won't stop talking. Hey! <laughs> True. <laughs> True. I love that Corinne's the one that said, "Oh, she won't stop talking." <laughs> Are you saying I have a big mouth? <laughs> I mean, no. I'm just saying you like talking. <laughs> You're good at it. I do have a. We're all on a podcast. All us bitches like talking. Lead us out. Lead us out of the episode. Damn it. Brittany, thank you so much again for joining us. Do you have any closing um, words for the darlings who are listening? I in? don't know. Just thank you for listening. Thank you for reading if you read. And um, when do you expect Goddess of the Sea to come out? I understand that is a moving target. We won't hold you we to it. We won't hold you to it. I am hoping now, January, because I was originally hoping December and that did not work out. But it happens, man. Definitely. It will definitely be by February because that one is a solid date that I can't I can't restart a draft at that point. <laughs> okay. So everybody, at latest February. You'll be able to get Goddess of the Sea. So you have time to read Pirates of Eleutheria. Get them both. This episode will be coming out probably sometime in February. So get in there. Read these books. They're really good. Um, and, you know, I just want to say thank you again, Brittany. This has been wonderful. 
Thanks. Now, <clears throat> now time for me to be producer. Oh. Wait. Before we do that, Brittany, is there anything you would like to plug? Social media, yeah, yeah. website, anything like that? Um, I am still on Twitter, as long as Twitter is a thing. Um, Same. It's uh, Brittany M. Jackson. And then I'm on Instagram. And I think Facebook is the same username, Brittany Jackson Author. I am trying to figure out Blue Sky. It's a little bit different. <laughs> but yeah, I haven't got there yet. I, I'm really bad about forgetting that I have certain social medias. So we'll see how well that one goes. Everybody follow Brittany on the various social medias. If you have trouble finding her, let us know and we can hook you up. We know where she is. We know where she lives. Uh <laughs> Follow her, but not like Corinne and Roxy. <laughs> Good God. I hate when I have to be the responsible one. This is wrong. Fix I'm it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to be responsible right now, okay? Thank you. <clears throat> Sorry, Brittany. <sighs> Next episode is our season finale, Tris Six Venom by Penelope Douglas. Away games, back seats, and the locker room after hours. Get ready for a new girl-girl bully romance. Clay. Marymount girls are good girls. We're chaste. We're untouched. And even if we weren't, no one would know because we keep our mouths shut. Not that I have anything to share anyway. I never let guys go too far. I'm behaved. Beautiful, smart, talented, popular. My skirt's always pressed and I never have a hair out of place. I own the hallways, walking tall on Monday and dropping to my knees like a good Catholic girl I am on Sunday. That's me. Always in control. Or so they think. The truth is that it's easy for me to resist them because what I truly want, they can never be. Something soft and smooth, someone dangerous and wild. Unfortunately, what I want, I have to hide. In the locker room after hours, in the bathroom stall between classes, in the showers after practice. For me, life is a web of secrets. No one can find out mine. Olivia. I cross the tracks every day for one reason, to graduate from this school and get into the Ivy League. I'm not ashamed of where I come from, my family, or how everyone at Marymount thinks my skirts are too short and my lipstick too red. Clay Collins and her friends have always turned up their noses at me, the witch with her beautiful skin, clean shoes, and rich parents who torments me daily and thinks I won't fight back. At least not until I get her alone and find out she's hiding so much more than just what's underneath those pretty clothes. The princess thinks I'll scratch her itch. She thinks she's still pure as long as it's not a guy touching her. I told her to stay on her side of town. I told her not to cross the tracks. But one night, she did. And when I'm done with her, she'll never be pure again. Phew! I hear this one is so toxic but ma'am roxy loves it roxy want to expound a bit for the darlings okay 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 listen 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 okay all right hear me out <laughs> andy looks so disappointed in me okay this book so most of the books i find for the podcast come from uh stuff i hear on the internet you know like queer spaces um various areas like twitter or tiktok all over this book got such a visceral, strong reaction out of people, and they said they couldn't put it down. So I started reading it halfway, months ago, months ago, and I told a mutual friend of ours as well. I had to stop reading it because I was like, 
I have to share this. This has to be an episode. It is so... Listen, it's hot. It's hot as fuck. You can judge me all you want. I don't care. This is a hot book. It's good. I don't know how it ends because I'm waiting to read it with y'all. And it's been hard. But listen to me. Listen. It's, it's, it's spicy. It's it's like Diablo sauce Taco Bell. This ain't your, you know, glances at each other. This is hot shit, okay? I will fight. Check it out. Okay, I'm done. I've said my piece. I'm fine. I'm okay. Thank I'm you fu- for fine. those very intense feelings, Roxy. I I appreciate it. Thank you listen, for your listen, piece. Just you wait. Just you wait. I can't wait for the episode. You just, just It's you just going to be a, a fade in for Black. Just... We're sorry. We're sorry, Roxy. This book was really hot. In the meantime, looking for hot content and even hotter vibes, check out our Patreon. You can find it linked on our Twitter and Blue Sky, WBTYM Pod. You can also find us on Instagram with the same name. Plus, we have a Facebook page and a Tumblr, if you're into that kind of thing. And as of recently, we have an active TikTok, WBTYM. Roxy posts the various shenanigans we get up to, and I think you'll enjoy it. Please follow, rate, and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. Tell a friend. Chase down a coworker. We've got so much love to give, and we need your help to spread it. Finally, we'd like to thank Acorns for our theme song, Ben for his editing notes, and Saria for being our Patreon spouse. We appreciate you more than you can ever know. This has been Wham Bam. Thank you, ma'am. We hope we've left you thoroughly satisfied. Ready, Brittany? All together now. Get Get flirty. And really dirty. Oh my god. So dirty like a pirate. Oh my god. <laughs> Arr, dirty. Arr. Arr.